Hey, and welcome to the podcast. This is Getting Creative with Stash May. I am sitting here today with Ishida Banerjee, Soul Curry Art. Could not be happier. I first heard you speak and learned about your art on Coffee with Captain. Um, you're in the Web3 and NFT space. I know that you have trained as a fine artist, and I could not be happier to be sitting here talking with you. Love your love your work. Love the practice. I love what you're about. Um, so how's it going? Hi, thank you so much for having me. Um, it's going good. I've been, uh, I've been a traditional artist for 30 years now. So it's, it's been a long time and a long time of learning, growing, experimenting, just, you know, putting my creativity out there. Uh, and the road is never, you know, the road to anything is never linear. So there's been a lot of ups and downs. Uh, lots of fun, uh, lots of heartache, lots of blood, sweat, and tears, but a lot of success and happiness at the end and, and lots of color that I bring to the table. Yeah, it, it really seems like all of that goes into your work. And and I do love and just, you know, reading about you and, and learning more about you and, you know, your, I guess, um, love and joy for color, right? That It definitely seems to be, and I think color expresses so many emotions, right? You know, if you want to touch on that. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think I've never been afraid of color, and uh, my roots come from India. I mean, I grew up in India. I spent, um, you know, thirty-five years in India. I went to art school there, and color was something that was so ingrained uh, and part mm. of our culture. You know, there was vermilions, there was, you know, turmerics, there was saffrons, there was greens, there was blues. There was, I mean, intensity of colors, and we did not shy of color and. Being a warm country, it was we gravitated towards color for everything. Color was celebration. Color was joy. Mm. Color was um, weddings. Color was everything, you know. And um, we grew up with with this sensibility of color really being part of who we are in our culture. And uh, when I started dabbling in art, uh, in the initially it was so, it's so strange that when I started, I actually tried to do the opposite. I did not want to have so much of color, so I started mm. in black and white. Yes. And I started in very earthy tones. And then, you know, it's something that you, you really cannot uh, shed, something that has crept in under your skin. So color d- kept making a comeback one way or the other. And uh, I just love expressing through color. I've also, you know, really delved into what color means to us, how color heals, how color affects us, how color is used in branding in advertising, yes. uh, strategic marketing, And, um, you know, consciously, unconsciously, it does come back. And I absolutely love immersing myself in color. Yeah. And so did you, I know you have a a BFA and an MFA. Did you get both of those in India? Yes, I did. Yeah. You know, uh, I will say taking a trip, a month-long trip to India was uh, a life-changing experience, literally, uh, figuratively also. But I had never taken any pictures before. And a friend, you know, I'd gone through some like big life changes at this point. Some stuff was really up in the air. A friend was like, come to me with to, to India. Um, you have to do it now. You'll never do it on your own. I know you. And I was like, yes, you're right. And I bought a little camera and I went there and I took pictures. And I was so overwhelmed by everything at every turn. And I didn't know what to do. And by the end of it, I remember sitting on like a... Um, like a veranda overlooking the Ganges in mm-hmm. Varanasi, just shell shocked. Got on the plane, went home, 
was so just lost. And then I said to myself, I want to do this every year for the rest of my life. I was so taken by just and, and the color and the food and the culture. And I don't know, I just had such wake up calls. So yeah, I don't know. I just wanted to put that out there. I just, there's a plug for India. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's just such a magical place. And, you know, I don't know. Um, yeah. And gosh. nothing, nothing prepares you for that. You know, like, I, I mean, India is an assault on the senses in a good yeah. way. Yes, I mean, literally absolutely. from, from the, from the smells, the sound, the touch, the, you know, the air, the, the, the fragrance of the spices in the air. I mean, it is, it is just a, you know, it's a, it's an overwhelming uh, sensibility to be in India. And I felt that, I mean, I was, I grew up there, so it wasn't so much of a, you know, it wasn't so much of a, a shock to me but when i've been you know i've been in the west for a very long time now i, I live in canada work here and uh, i see the difference between you know living in a in a place that is uh, cold also i mean if we live in a yes. very cold country weather wise not not cold otherwise right. but, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> but it's a cold country but um, it, also you know how people perceive color here how yeah. people perceive uh, smells and diversity is very different from how we saw it back in india because right. diversity was never a word there. There was nothing diverse there. Although we had so many different languages, so many different cultures, so many different kinds of food, every 50 kilometers, something changes. Language changes, yeah. food changes, weather changes. So it, it was it was a lot. But um, but also, you know, you grew, grew up with that. You grew up with the fact that knowing that everybody is different, people speak different languages, food is different. So, you know, it, it's very easy for us to adapt to other countries. Mm. Um, and I felt like, you know, that was, that did help me a lot getting, you know, when I was settling in down in Canada. Right. And do you feel like, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but I, 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 you could label yourself this a cubist. Uh, how did that come about? And do you feel like, obviously, um, Again, your your work is so colorful, but the the, the the cubist aspect of it is just so strong. Obviously, you know it seems to be that that's you know a wheelhouse that you really like to work in. But I was also looking at some of your other work, like the acrylics and things, and you have you know on your Instagram and and uh, page and all that stuff, um, where it's not necessarily just that, right? But that seems to be the direction that you've you've you know kind of headed it and and um, embodied. Yeah, kind of owned it, <laughs> made it my yeah, own. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I think as an artist, uh, when I started off, I did everything. Like, because I'm a trained artist, I trained in the classical style of, you know, learning. Mm -hmm. uh, we started off with realistic art. We learned about, uh, I studied photography. I studied lithography. I studied everything that you can possibly think of that is allied with art. Yeah. And um, what it I did saw... was it, yeah, sorry. No, sorry. Yeah. Uh, so what it did was it gave me tools it made me understand techniques. It made me understand, uh, you know, cycles that an artist goes through. So, you know, finding your style was something that doesn't happen overnight. It is, it is a long journey, and it is something that I've really enjoyed finding. You know, that that route that led me here. But my final year MFA dissertation was on the Cubist movement. It was about how Cubists interpreted things in their own way about how they looked at things and broke it apart and put it back together 
And that had a profound uh, influence on in me because A, I studied it really in depth. They understood what they were trying to do, how they were trying to do it, how they were trying to break out from the classical mold of, you know, the impressionists who came before them. So uh, for me, I really studied that and had a, you know, I kept going back to it over and over again. At that very same time, when we were, when the Cubist movement was happening in the early, you know, the beginning of the 1900s, 1900 to 1910, 20, that was also when uh, India was also going through a really big art movement. There was the Bengal School of Art. There was a lot of art that was coming out from India, which was also very, very similar to the Cubist form of art. So although it was not as... Um, prolifically famous as the Cubist movement, but it was very, very uh, underground. Uh, we were also we were also a, a British colony at that time, so art, you know, was not a big part of the conversation. But that school of art also practiced a lot of Cubist styles, a lot of the same similar kind of mindsets. They were also influenced by what was happening in the West. And I grew up with that and uh, where my roots come from in, in West Bengal, um, you know, the Bengal School of Art had a huge influence on uh, how I saw things. And um, folk art, uh, you know, it was, uh, you know, symbolism that came out. Uh, mythology played a huge role in how I wanted to go, go forward. So I definitely dabbled in realistic art. I dabbled in abstract expressionist. I love making abstracts that don't have a form, but is left to interpretation. I love making folk art. I've also done really, I've taken folk animals from India or, and the West, and I've tried to give it, you know, release patterns. And the more I did that, I realized that, you know, folk art is so similar, whether you're from the Mayan culture, whether you're from the Indian culture, whether you're from uh, the indigenous uh, community, there are these symbolisms that are so strong and so recognizable that sometimes people would look at me and ask me whether I am from South America because they see, you know, their their motives in, in, the, in the pieces that I was doing. And then I started looking at indigenous art, which I had not been ex exposed to before. So, you know, it was just a just a, a learning experience on so many different levels. But I also knew that, you know, when I was left alone and when I was just doing something uh, on my own, you know, without consciously thinking of it, I would go back to making faces over and over again. I would go back to that again and again and again. And I think it was around 1995 when I finally, you know, found this, I made this piece, which was called The Kiss. And uh, when I did that piece, I knew that this is it. This is what came from within. This is what was something that I knew that I had in me to express. So and that became kind of my signature piece. And then I started experimenting. I started bringing my abstract expressionist in, my motives in, my color in. And then it kind of became a small a, a, a salad of everything. And right. as I developed, as I learned, um, it grew with me and, um, you know, just had so much uh, fun exploring that side of myself. And I'm sorry, I've been rambling on. <laughs> no, it's brilliant. Are you kidding me? This is, this is why we're here. Do you come from a creative or artistic family? No, not at all. My parents wow. are medical doctors. My father's oh, a wow. surgeon. <laughs> I was the black sheep. Art mm. was not part of the conversation. And I'm a child of the 70s. So I grew up at a time and, and I was I just started doing art when art was not a viable career option. Right. Uh, I was uh, the, the older child of doctor parents who had high dreams, hopes that I would follow in their footsteps, Asian parents. And it was it was hard to convince my parents that you know, I really wanted to do it. 
Right. And I got a lot of resistance at the beginning, a lot of resistance. And then do you feel like eventually they saw the work and they saw that, you, you know, your just level of engagement and, and knowledge and happiness around it. And we're like, okay. Yeah. I think, well, I think well, they grew point. into it. Yeah. <laughs> they right. Right. They totally grew into it with me as, I mean, they saw that, you know, this was something that would make me do everything just to make, be my, be the best artist that I could be. Right. And they saw the passion. They saw the work that I put in. And I supported myself all throughout college. I did not mm. take a you know dime from them. I made sure that I got scholarships. I, I really work put in the work, and they they really appreciated the fact that you know I was following my dreams, and they are my biggest supporters and cheerleaders now. Oh, that's incredible! That's incredible. I think something too that I, I really like. I, I, part of like doing this podcast and, and talking to artists is that like, and let's kind of get into web three and NFTs mm-hmm. as well. It, you have to love this, you know, mm-hmm. and I don't want to be, I don't want to sit here and like, like, Oh, we're artists and we love blah, blah, blah. But no, no, no. You have to love it. You have to love the process, you know, and to trust the process is to love the process and to love the process is to trust the process. And I just can't hammer home enough that you have to try a bunch of stuff. Yes. You have to get out there. You have to see what you like. You have to make some mistakes. I do believe that you have to learn the rules so that you can break the rules. Exactly. And, you know, yes, I want to put things out and I want to support myself as an artist and um, I want to be part of the community. I want to be able to give, you know, to the community. But I think, you know, it, it kind of... I. I don't want to put like, let's say maybe the cart before the horse, but like, I, I, I need to have the time to like figure out what it is I'm doing first. Or, you know, I don't want to speak for anybody else, but like, it's a long road. You don't have it's to just jump road. in right away. It, it, you know, the, being an artist and, and living the creative life is like, it's a life. It's a life and it's, it's, it's a life that doesn't come easy. Like, you know, no, no. when you get out of art school, you don't get this, this job that will pay the bills, will pay the no. mortgage. You have to work two jobs, three jobs. Sometimes I worked 20 years to fuel my dream as a right. full-time artist. And I tell myself that, you know, when I was doing this, you know, I was working a, a full-time job for 20 years mm-hmm. and I put a little bit of that away from my, for my, you know, fulfilling my dream at the end and I knew that there was going to be a day where I would call myself a full-time artist and that day came 20 years later for some it comes earlier some it comes later you know but but the fact that I never gave up I you know it took me a while you know there's so much narrative about you'll never make it as an artist or art doesn't pay the bills to just get over that initial resistance was really hard but once I did once I absolutely knew in my heart that I was on the right track that yes. I was doing what I was meant to do, even if it meant working a full-time job while fueling my dreams. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was re- I was willing to put in that work to do that. Still making um, art. I'm still making art. I'm, I'm, yep. I, I would always do that. I would moonlight. I, I called myself a moonlighting artist. I would work mm-hmm. my day job, come back home at night. And this is something that never leaves you. you it doesn't feel like work, right? right? It's like breathing to me. And I'm sure it's like for pretty much anybody who's in the creative uh, field, you know, whether you're a photographer, whether you're a writer, whether you're a musician, it just comes from within. And you need to acknowledge that and you need to like 
tap into that because there's so many pathways it could lead you to. And if you don't pay attention to that creative calling, I just feel like there is so much regret that happens afterwards. I feel failure is so much easier to handle than regret. Hmm. And you need to fail often. You need to fail fast. And anything, anybody who's, you know, even remotely successful in anything must have had this journey of extreme failure and getting back up again and reinventing themselves and trying again and again and again till, till they got it right. Yeah. And even I, then, you know, even if you get it right, you still need to be relevant. You still need to figure it out. You still need to keep doing the work. It's never. Yeah. Do you, do you feel like there was a point at which I know you talked about, uh, was it the kiss? Yes. Like, was that the point where you thought to yourself, number one, like maybe I, I am a, you know, quote unquote, good artist, or I could, I could actually do this. Obviously, you know, you've maintained this practice for over 20 years, but was there a point where you were like, no, 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 I'm going to do this? Even, I mean, as I, a child, always, you're creating, you just always knew you always, wanted to do this. It was always, I knew that this was it, you know, there was yeah. no plan B. Right. There was no plan B. I My day job was also in design. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for 20 years, I did work on softwares. For 20 years, I worked on, you know, on designing for some of the biggest uh, broadcast shows that you've seen. So my day job was that, and it was allied with design at the same time. But mm-hmm. I was seeing that design was, you know, at least, you know, for me, I had the traditional training. So I did everything by hand. And then my day job was everything on a digital software. So trying to understand that digital softwares could also be great for designing and technology was uh, for running, uh, you know, artists and and getting ahead. Computers came in, um, you know, so many things happened in, in the last 30 years. And um, I always thought that I need to be there in the front, trying it at least before shooting it down. A lot of people in my generation, they were like, we don't want to try this. This is too hard. This is not traditional art, quote unquote. And uh, I felt like that is not the direction I wanted to go in. I just wanted to embrace anything that would let me create, whether it's digital, whether it's photography, whether it's um, stuff that I do by my hand, everything is creative. Anything made out of nothing is creative. Right. And so great segue into Web3 and NFTs. Mm-hmm. Did you start to create the work before you kind of knew about Web3? Or did Web3 kind of excite that part of you that thought, oh, wow, the, there's a new medium. You know, there's a new message that can be that can be told, a new story. To be honest, I started looking at how do I bridge my traditional art practice with what I was doing digitally as well. So I started exploring this 10 years ago, way before Web3. Mm-hmm. I told myself that, uh, first of all, as an artist, I wanted to see what made me stand out rather than what made me blend in. Mm-hmm. Uh, so one of the things that I wanted to do was have a very definitive style of when I, you know, what I wanted to do. And my cubist um, faces was it. I thought that this is this is the most me that I could bring to the table, the most authentic me. This is what made me stand out rather than blend in. And also something that I was doing very consciously was trying to bring digital elements into my traditional practice and vice versa. I was also bringing traditional practice into the digital world. So I was doing stuff by hand. I was scanning it, taking it to my iPad and working on that. I would make collage because I would take photographs and then I would bring that again, you know, I would do collages on canvas. I would, it, it was a lot of back and forth. I would even digitally print out canvas and paint over it, you know, so it was a digital Mm. painting, which I painted over. So it was a lot of um, experimentation and I was really loving where it was taking me. 
And then the iPad came into my hands in, you know, a couple of years ago and I didn't look back. I was just constantly drawing and drawing and drawing. I did stuff like Inktober every year and I would do, you know, really fun things. And then social media happened and then the inspiration kept flooding in. And then I started hearing about Web3 in early 2020. Mm -hmm. Uh, But uh, again, you know, there was this resistance that I don't know what this is and this is new technology. But I think we were at that time in our lives where we had to slow down and we had to pay attention to what was happening. So one fine day, I ended up on a clubhouse room and I was listening to, you know, the conversation and uh, and everywhere that I heard was about digital art and, you know, about technology coming in and about how this could be an empowering movement. And it just struck all the right chords with me. And I'm like, I want to know more about this. Yeah. And I want to know what I can do to contribute, not about yeah. what Web3 could do to me. And But it was like, how can I contribute to this movement? What can I bring to this movement that that could be unique or it could be something fun or whatever? So yeah. that's how I got into Web3 about thinking about how I could contribute. And how my, how my contribution started was I was hosting Clubhouse Rooms um, and uh, because I didn't see too many women in this space. And definitely not South Asian women who looked like me, who sounded like me. Mm -hmm. I was literally in a room full of men. um, And I was sometimes hesitant to ask a question as an introvert. I didn't want to go up to Farooq's room and there were 3,000 people in his room. And I didn't want to go and ask him a question. And I didn't know whom to reach out to. And the more I kept learning, the more I felt like if this is beneficial to me, I'm sure it could be beneficial to somebody else. So I started opening up these small clubhouse rooms which started and I would have these clickbaity titles called chai and samosas and art and nfts chai and samosa or something like that and we would have like two people people would turn up in the room and (laughs) uh and then it just it just you know it went on from there and then other south asians started like coming in asking questions and I became kind of a resource person there and I took the plunge I made the mistakes I I said fuck it and just you know just just let's do it um and i kept trying i kept trying um i didn't expect anything you know that's i think that's what helped in the beginning i came in without expect you know any expectation i did not there was there was nobody to you know have the nobody had set the benchmark of course we'd heard of people's sale and things like that but i also knew realistically that this is not something that happens to every single person. So yes, you, right. you got to try and figure out your own path just because it happened to people doesn't mean it's going to happen to me. It doesn't mean it's not going to happen to me either. Right, so yes, right. <laughs> keep that on the table as That's you will. Right. So, um, so just, you know, kept having fun with it. And then I met some very, very interesting people. I was very inspired by what I was seeing and what people were talking about in Web3. And I hook, line and sinker, a sinker I was in, <laughs> I was in. That's amazing. And I think too, you know, it just, again, you just put in the time, you've not quit, you didn't get discouraged. And also I know just for myself, like trying new things, sometimes it's just, I get so overwhelmed because things aren't working and I don't, I'm not hooking into it or it doesn't feel authentic or I want to try and understand this thing. And you talk about different techniques, you know, of even like, uh, I don't know if you said like photocopying and then bringing it in, mm-hmm. you know, and the paintings and pictures. And I think, think you know that kind of curiosity um and just again love of the process is like it's infectious 
Um, yes, it is. <laughs> yeah, right. And, and like it even is. now, I'm just like, oh gosh, so I I should go try some of these things and like, yeah, open myself up to these ideas. And um, God, I just really love that. And I think also the idea of like, what can I bring to this as opposed to just like, what can I extract? Yeah. I think that's I, that uh, you know, it, pe- people see that and they recognize it and they feel it, and, and, and that's the thing that reverberates and you know. Yeah, and it's it was it was a life changing. I mean, for me, I, it, I, as artists, we have very isolated practices. Yes. It's a very very competitive, uh, you know, field that you know a gallery will just shoot you down if they you know. And then it it just it becomes a, I mean, it takes a huge mental toll on you. Stuff that you've put in months and years of work, and then you're trying to get it out there to to a gallery. To you know, you have that you know the, those barriers to entry that we talk about. Yeah. Whereas here, it was it was just you. You were talking to your peers. You were talking to the audience right there and then. Directly. You were uh, you were presenting the work as you're speaking. You're developing the work as you're speaking. It was it was instantaneous, uh, and I felt like I felt liberated. I felt like uh, felt like the artists that I was talking to, the people that I was talking to, all were speaking my language. Mm. The support that I felt in the beginning from you know artists and. Uh, uh, the overwhelming love for the process. You know, I started mm. learning about generative art. It's the stuff that we had never even heard of. Like at least I had not. Right. I had not about heard of you know art with code. I had not heard about um, AI, for example, uh, or augmented reality for that matter. So you know, when I started looking into that, it started exciting me. I'm like, this is the future. This is where we are headed. We live in an increasingly digitized digital world. Our worlds are on our screens. Absolutely. So why can't art be you know part of that and um again coming from the traditional art practice digital art was always looked down upon yeah Uh, for a long time i was really scared about telling people that i had a digital practice at the same time because it was all you couldn't go to a gallery and say that i did this on on a on an ipad right you could not do that if you wanted to command top dollars it was just there was this huge movement of anti-digital and we only want physical work so Getting over that hurdle was very, very hard in the beginning. And uh, Web3 changed all that. I'm like, we are celebrating art in so many different forms. And yeah. um, I want to be part of it. I, you also kind of have to be, you have the option now or luxury perhaps of, like you said, going straight to the people, right? Straight to the community. We can just sit here and talk. We can sit on Twitter I can look at all your stuff on OpenSea or wherever it is. Um, I think the interesting thing too about being an artist is actually that we also have to kind of be like salespeople mm-hmm. and marketing people. And again, you know, not everyone is going to host a Twitter space or a clubhouse room or any of that sort of thing. So like, that's just such another skill, you know, that, that you have. Uh, I think that's so important. And also want to just talk about like, um, or, or just like give you like kudos for that, you know, because it is, it's really hard. It's, you know, it, it, it takes a hard. lot to do that. You know, you have to have it courage. Is a lot. <laughs> it is, it is, it did take a while for me to even start my brand soul career, you know, and I, I did that because I wanted to be a brand. I did not want to be just the person because oftentimes, um, I mean, at least for me, my art was very personal and I wanted to have that little bit of a separation between the emotions that I was bringing into the art and the final art piece. And oftentimes, you know, I wanted to have that through having a brand name. 
I did not want to be just Ishita in the in the in the art world, but I wanted to be somebody who brings together all her experiences, you know, from the South Asian, the, my love for color, where I come from, my roots, everything, you know, there's so much that has shaped me from South Asia, but I've also got a lot from the Western world. I've got so much here that I, I'm so grateful for. I've, I'm fortunate enough to have learned a new language. Uh, I, you know, I live in a place where, which is, I'm privileged to live in a place which has given me so much and I was able to start my business here. So um, when I started that, I thought of myself as a brand. And if I wanted to go across as a brand, I was, I had to have a target audience in mind. And I was my typical audience. You know, mm-hmm. I told myself if I was a typical audience who was somebody who just loves art, who wants to buy art, who wants to support art, what would I be looking for? So I wanted something that was very professionally done. First of all, a website or an e-commerce site was extremely important. When I get people somewhere, what do they want to see? They should know about me. They should know about what I bring to the table, my different styles. Uh, also, my thoughts that I started writing down in a blog, brought them all together in one place. And then slowly and steadily, you know, things that I didn't know, I would go and take a workshop on. So I, I did not know anything about social media. And, uh, you know, I started off with literally five people who were my friends and family. And then I, it grew to about 64,000 people right now. So Say that one more uh, time. How many people? 64,000 people. Okay. Yes. Thank you. So uh, it just, it just happened. It didn't happen overnight. It was a lot of work, learning, relearning, making mistakes, uh, going through that nobody cares about me phase, you know, and... Um, how, 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 how did you get through that? You know, the doubt, like, and the, like, just pushing through and not listening to the voice or the voices. It was just that I told myself not every... I it, Everybody's art is different. Everybody's style is different. My art may not be, you know, maybe I'm, I'm speaking to an audience that can't see me yet, you know, so mm. just let me try different things. And you have to try these different things to see what was working and what doesn't. So, you know, you have to be consciously reinventing and trying things. And one thing I did every year was I would try to teach myself something new that I have never done before. So every summer, my daughter and I, we would try take a maybe a YouTube lesson or, you know, try something in a new technique. Or one year we taught ourselves jewelry making. So, you know, just something that we could get our hands dirty, something completely that is could be related to work, could not be related to work, learn to, learn to write, learn to, you know, use words differently. So, you know, it just sharpens your brain. Mm-hmm. And then because you're constantly learning, you're not really, that self-doubt kind of goes away and you tell yourself that, you know, it's just something that I have to try for myself, regardless if anybody's watching or not. And if you keep doing it over and over again, like anything, like anything that you're doing, you're going to get better at it. If it, you know, if you do do it with passion, intention, authenticity, you are going to get better at it. And uh, it, it could take 20 years, it could take 20 months, but I'm willing to put in the work and uh, that's it. One step at a time. That's what I told myself, one step at a time. I think everybody needs to hear that. Like, please, please let that like sit with you. You know, if you're listening to this, like put in the work. Also, you know, like, Again, like you talk about like, oh, I want to learn something new. Like, oh, I want to learn new things. I want to incorporate these things. Like staying curious, staying hungry, staying inquisitive, you know, like, yeah, I just want to learn stuff all the time, you know, and I want that to like be a part of my work and my voice and maybe not necessarily be pigeonholed into a certain thing, you know, wanting to experience things like making jewelry, like amazing. Yeah. yeah make jewelry. Uh, 
I don't know, calligraphy. What are you into? Exactly, exactly, exactly. And, you know, as a photographer too, you know, the more you try new things, it it trains your eye and your brain to see things differently. Yes. Like we didn't have drone photography before, right? We didn't yes. see things from that perspective before. When you start seeing things from different perspectives, literally and figuratively, you know, yes. it, it triggers something else in your mind and you start to see the other side of things. You start to see things in, uh, in in positive negatives the gray areas the black and white areas the in-between areas and um, that is something that has absolutely fascinated me and how we could change and how we can adapt of course it's not been easy I've had moments that you know I've sat and cried I've had massive failures I've had uh, I've had successes as well but I also know that even with whatever success, there is always a downturn to everything. You know, there is an up and a down and an up and a down. Mm-hmm. And if you are having that stoic mindset and knowing that things go up and then what goes up will come down mm-hmm. and what goes down will eventually come up. So you've got to keep putting in that work and not take both the highs and the lows for granted. So even yeah. if you're in the highest point of your uh, you know, career or life or whatever you're doing, there will come a low point and you will have to navigate that. And I've had to navigate some really low points, mm-hmm. both work-wise and personally. So, you know, just just keeping that in mind uh, just keeps you, you know, keep going one step at a time. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, let's talk about reverberance. Yeah, reverberance. So, you know, after almost two years in, um, in doing NFTs and uh trying different platforms and having accrued a, a really good collector base. I've been collected by some of the biggest names that you can think of from Pranksy to uh, G Money to the whale, uh, whale Shark community to everyone that, you know, I, I was really fortunate enough to be in their wallets. I've had the good fortune of, you know, being part of huge collections, made really good friends here in the, in the Web3 space. Uh, and, you know, one thing I definitely wanted to come back to was how do I bring uh, something that I've never done before to the people that have already collected from me? And most of the people who collected from me have always collected editions. Mm. And uh, my one of ones were were slightly, you know, at the time when ETH was high, it would go in the range of um, 1 to 1.25 to 1.5 or even more. You know, some of my pieces have gone for even more than that. But this was not the market to... You know, the, I, I was kind of paying attention to, you know, a, I was reading the room. I did not want to come in with a with a collection that had too many pieces. Mm-hmm. I wanted it to be just small enough that uh, that people would find value in it, would be excited about what I was doing. And at the same time, I wanted to give people who've never collected a one of one from me a chance to come and get a one of one. And uh, I started working on this collection about four months before I released it. And this was, you know, I would just do something and I would be very excited about it. And I would do another one and be very excited about it. And I didn't know what to do with that collection. Uh, Should I should I do it as editions? Should I do that? And the more I kept paying attention to the market, the more I kept telling myself that uh, maybe editions, you know, 100 editions is not the way to go. Uh, maybe even 50 editions is not the way to go. And why don't I do something that gives back value to the collectors who've already collected from me, who've always wanted a one-of-one. And as this collection grew, and I saw that there was this, you know, common harmony of colors and how color affects us, the emotions of color, I decided to drop it as just 30 one-of-one pieces. 
Uh, it was a lot of work. <laughs> 31 of one pieces is a was. lot of work. <laughs> but it's at the same time, keeping interest going for 30 days is also a lot of work. Right. And uh, one of the reasons I decided to do it in January this year is this year I'm turning 50. So I decided this is the year that I am going to be, uh, you know, leveling up. And yeah. uh, 50 is a, is, a, is a big turning point. I mean, in the sense that, you know, I, I, I told myself that it is now or never. Mm. This is the time to take risks. This is the time to, you know, just say fuck it and just jump head in. This yeah. is also the time that I want to, uh, I want to give back, not just keep taking, you know, this is the time where, you know, life has taught you so many things and you've navigated so many things. And I wanted to start my 50th year on a bang. Yes. And, um, and this is it, you know, I said, let me just do this collection. What's the worst that can happen, you know? what's the worst that can happen what's the best that can happen and so far it's been it's been absolutely incredible uh and the fact that people collect multiple pieces from you just goes to show i mean it's just a humbling feeling when people can collect one or two and you definitely see that you know you're definitely grateful but when people come back and collect 20 30 50 pieces from you that just just you know just blows my mind it just blows my mind and i never take that for granted and i just want to continuously keep giving back and bring back value to the people that have believed in me and it's and i don't promise anything it's just art you know you're you're i i have no agenda i have mm -hmm. no ask i have no utility i bring the best possible art uh with the right intention and authenticity and if things pan out from there i have plans i have things that i want to keep doing growing building then I take my collectors along the journey with me. Uh, but at the same time, I keep learning and inventing. Incredible. Oh, I think that's a perfect uh, a perfect way to wrap this up. I oh, that's could, I could, couldn't so have much. said it said it better. I, I'm I'm so excited for what's to come. Happy birthday! Um, <laughs> please um, please follow. Happy Soul birthday! Arts. My birthday's my birthday's in September, but it's it's oh, a big year. Oh, I, oh, yes, I yes. decided I decided this is going to be the year I take risks. Great. So. <laughs> I, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to follow you in that. I think 2023, with everything that's going on in the, in the markets and um, you know the art meta in in NFTs and all that stuff, let's do it. Like let's do it. Let's just do it. Let's go for it. And we need to take risks collectively so that you know we yes. are we are accountable to each other. We you know we have sounding boards, and when you're feeling low, somebody else can pick us up. And I feel like you know I'm at that place where I'm ready to do it. Uh, and uh, you know. Who knows what's coming tomorrow? And I've gone through some pretty scary life shit, so that I, yeah. I I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. So I have only now, and I'm just going to make the best of it, the best version of myself, the highest version of myself that I can be. So, oh, that's so inspiring. I'm inspired. I hope everybody else is listening to this. Um, where can we find you online? You can find me on Twitter as Soul Curry Art. It's one word. You can find me on Instagram as Soul Curry Art again. I have my website, which is uh, soulcurryart.com. And um, I also sell on Etsy as Soul Curry. So you'll find me everywhere as Soul Curry Art. And um, yeah, I hope, uh, I hope, yeah, I hope the art journey continues. The learning never stops. And we grow as people as, you know, um, through the art that we make. Absolutely. Shida, thank you so much. This was fantastic. Such a great I had a wonderful time. Thank you. Oh, Thank I you so much. It. I hope we can do it again. Yes, yes, absolutely. We should talk about artist branding. We could talk about any anything. I would love to, you know, love to bring some uh, 
I would also love to learn. I mean, I'm I don't know I don't have all the answers, and I, I'm I'm just a enthusiastic learner, just as much as everybody else is. Well, I love that. I think it's so important, and uh, I mean, you 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 bring so much to the space and and your work and your and your your energy, and uh, it's just fantastic. We're just so so Thank glad you're you. here. I'm happy to be here with you. You know. Thank you. I'm happy to have connected with you on Coffee with Captain. This is yeah, such me a too. the the web web three space. We don't uh, like we don't give it enough credit about you know how many people how many connections have been made. How much huge. How much um, you know heart and soul has been shared also. So yeah, you know, it's just through these connections which we probably never had before Web three. The community, you know, when everybody kind of like throws the word around, we kind of like ha yeah. ha ha. No no no, it's it's huge the community aspect of this and even just like you said, being in clubhouse and uh, you know, starting the rooms or, you know, hosting rooms and being on Twitter spaces, whatever it is, it's the community is, is, is enormous. Uh, I can't say it enough. I've gotten so much out of being in web three and going to IRL yeah. events and even digitally, you know, like we can sit here and yeah. do this. This is brilliant. Yeah, exactly. It's brilliant. Exactly. And you get, and, and like they say, there's this, this is very cliched saying that we came in for the art, but we stayed in for the community. So yeah. you come for the art, you stay for the community. So just, you know, just just come in and just explore and have fun. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you again. And uh, thank thanks, so everybody, much. for listening. And um, please check out Soul Curry Arts. All the work Reverberance is the is the January collection. I guess I could say that, right? Dropping yes, every that's day in my January. January drop, yeah. um, so, Sheeta, thank you again. <laughs>